everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Sequel Jackson, and you're tuning in to Athletes Unplugged. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Madhu Williams. He had a nine-year NFL career in the National Football League. In 2010, he was the recipient of the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which goes to and which goes to one player who exemplifies excellence both on and off the field, and as well as dedicating his time and energy within the community. At the age of 28, he also gave, at the time, the highest endowment to the University of Maryland at $2 million, not to the football team, but to a global health initiative focused on two things, helping improve the education and healthcare in areas similar to his home country in Sierra Leone. And if you haven't heard of Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone is a place in West Africa that has been pretty, is a poor country to say the least. And Madhu Williams is a testament of hard work, commitment, and perseverance. So with no further ado, please welcome in my buddy, Mr. Madhu Williams, AKA Yurt. What's going on, brother? How you doing? What's going on, Yurt? How you doing, man? It's good to be good. here. Good, man. I had to take a deep breath to get all that out, man. And it's still <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> Hey, so, did a great so, job, man. Did a great job. I, I appreciate it. Uh, so I want to go back to one of the things that I mentioned about uh, your transition from being from Sierra Leone, which we want to know more about, that I actually had the privilege of visiting on a mission trip. We'll get to that later, but I want to get your, your thoughts and your opinions on, before you made the transition to the U.S. at the age of nine, what was your life like um, in Sierra Leone and and and, and what you know, just to give us some insight of what was life like for you before you made the transition to the U.S. Oh, man. Life was a little bit difficult, but I didn't know it was difficult. I just I had a pretty good life. I thought I had a pretty good life till I came to America and I started to see the differences. But in Sierra Leone, the interesting thing about me growing up in Sierra Leone was I was raised by my great grandmother. and My parents was actually here. My mom and dad were here in the United States working wow. um, at the time. Uh, my father came to school when I was when I was four years old. I uh, came here and um, he was a student working at night, um, trying to put some money together to send to my mom, who was working back home. And wow. at age of six, he saved enough money for my mom to come join him because he only had it was only one person that he could afford to bring, and then. The decision right, was right. so my mom came and at the time my parents were here, they were living in an apartment. My dad was living in an apartment, but had some roommates. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> my mom told me the story. She knew she couldn't live with roommates. And right, uh, right. so two years later, they were they worked together. They was able to save uh-huh. them and they were able to bring me. And that was the first time they had their own apartment. And when I arrived, they were so happy because one, I was there, but two, they were able to have a place of their own. Right. Um, right. I think Leon with my great grandmother was consist of just going to school, man. She was just a disciplinarian. I owe her a lot of my upbringing and some of my values to her because she was old school. And I started school. School was always a priority. We went to school every day and we come home. And when we come home, it was all about getting chores and doing homework. So that was the routine as a child. Um, extracurricular activities were non-existent. You just play right. in the neighborhood, you play in your yard. And right. to me, I was I was better off than most kids there just because I have a home. 
Um, I had family that was there. I had cousins and I was well taken care of. So I didn't go without. The thing that was missing was I didn't have my parents there as small friends and kids were growing up. But I also knew that was a purpose as to why I didn't have them there. They were were providing a better life for myself. So did you always know as a young, at what age did you know that was the plan to, you know, once your parents left, it was like, that was the plan for the bring the kids to the U.S. Did you like, how do you process that as a young child? You know, how did you, did you know the severity of, okay, because you mentioned it's like, you don't know what you don't have. So in your mind, what, what was your mind? Like, what, what, what were you telling yourself? Like, okay, if my parents are there, it must be, I need to follow my parents. You know, like what what was that like for you? <laughs> it was hard to be honest with you, man, because as a kid, yeah. when you have assemblies at school and you have back to school nights or parent teacher conference and you, you know, as a parent, right. you ask yourself, why come my mom and my dad, my dad weren't here? You know, right. even though right. I had like my grandmother, I had aunts and <laughs> uncles that were standing in as surrogates. It was not the same as having your own. Right. And I felt that as a kid. But I was always encouraged by my mom and my dad that when I speak to them, which was very often, that this is we doing this for you. We're right, providing you right. life and you will see what type of life you have later. I promise you. And I remember uh, my, mom, my mom used to cry all the time. Like every time mm-hmm. we speak on the phone, she would cry. She's like, this is one of the worst decisions I've ever had to make. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but yeah. I promise you. And the words that she used to echo in my ear was, I promise you, it's going to get better. I right, promise right. you will see that everything we're doing right now is not in vain. But as right. a five, six-year-old, five, six, seven-year-old, you're like, man, I just want to see my mama. I just want to see mom. I just want to see my dad. <laughs> sure. I just want to hug. And at the time, I was their only child that they, um, that they had. So right. I, I had cousins and things, but it wasn't the same. So say that, say that to say, I had, as I grew older and I had some some issues that I had to deal with <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of because I kind of felt abandoned by my mom. Yeah, my yeah I did. I did. It, but it's, I it's, it's, it's natural because, I mean, it, not, you, you explained it so well. I'm sure it took you were the first child. So I can only imagine. I only have one right now. And I can only imagine being away from him for a week, let alone you know, in a different country, you can't touch him, you can't kiss him, you can't be with him. And knowing that you know it's a young child and all they want to do is be around their parents. You know, it had to be extremely difficult on your on your parents and it was a huge sacrifice they made. So they make the sacrifice, you finally come over to the States. You know, I can only imagine you were excited to be around your parents, excited to be in this place, wherever it is, you know, that was apparently a better place than Sierra Leone. But how now, as a as a young child, how do you deal with the struggles of of adjusting? You know, I'm sure that had to be a difficult transition for you because in Sierra Leone, you guys spoke Creole, correct? Is that the language? It was English, but Creole. But yeah, broken English. I know I dealt with I dealt with issue a language barrier coming from Florida in the Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I can only imagine what type of you know uh, obstacles you had to jump over being a young child. Man, it was so difficult, bro, because when I came, Quell, it's like my parents were strangers. Like, I had to relearn who they were all over again because I went through years of not seeing them, right? And then they had to relearn me because they hadn't had the responsibilities of taking care of me 
And now all of a sudden I was dropped right in the middle of Chevrolet, Maryland, their mm-hmm. first apartment. They're still like newlyweds because they're like, oh, we finally got our own place together, you know? And now they have a son who they haven't seen in years. And it's kind of like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? So I remember my mom always used to tell me, she said, I'm so grateful for your great grandmother because I didn't have to raise you because I don't, I forgot. I don't know what to do. Yeah. She didn't know what to do. And the first thing I got here in September, I want to say 21st, September 21st, 1992 or 1993. And it's probably like on a Saturday. I don't know what day it was, but I know that following Monday, I was already registered. I was already registered and I was going to school. Wow. I had no chance to like acclimate or nothing. Wow. Man. I remember wow. it took me to get tested. I had to get academically to see where I was academically. Sure. And I went through this. Um, it's like testing services in Bladensburg, Maryland. And I took the test. And as soon as the test was over, they told my parents, oh, yeah, he needs to be put in the fourth grade. But I was the first. I was the fourth. I literally just left fourth grade. So they put me right back into the same grade that I was. Interesting. Most, most that was interesting because typically I didn't realize that when you come some countries, they put you a grade behind. So sure. they didn't do that to me. They put me at the same grade I was in. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh my God! I can't even imagine how many challenges you need a year to like make sure the same type of terminology and the same I methods. I didn't have that, man. Oh, I was thrown in there. I was thrown in there. And then what made it worse? So you know how to have a the bus service, right? This is a funny story. So my mom, she told me, she said, hey, you know, you got to take the bus to school. So she put me on the bus the first day, right? <laughs> right. Like, oh, you're on, you're on the bus. But she didn't tell me that I had the, it's a different bus on the way back. Oh, I got it. I see. I didn't, I didn't know which bus to take to come back home. But I did remember how to get back home. So I just walked wow. because in Sierra Leone, we right. walked. Ooh, there's right. no bus service. There's no right. bus. So I walked home and my mom was at the bus stop standing there like, where, where were you? Wow. I didn't know what bus to take. So that, that's that's right, because they had been in, in the U.S. for so long. Things that you don't think you need to tell someone. Yeah. It didn't come naturally to you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You're, oh, my it was, God. It was, it, was, it was one of those things where it was such an adjustment that first year because not only did I, I spoke English, but it was different. I didn't know none of the slang and there are certain things that I didn't know. I didn't understand. So I was placed in this uh, English as a second language. They call it ESOL. Uh But yet again, I was not a, English was my first language. So it was kind of like, okay, you're an ESOL, but you don't really need to be ESOL. And you don't belong in here. So they didn't really give me the full breadth of Esau. So they get, they kicked me out early. But yet I was oh, struggling trying to understand. So if it's somebody like you who I'm trying to play with in the playground and they're like, hey, man, and like they just say certain yeah, things. Yeah, you, you don't know that, how to respond. I don't know how to respond. So it was always that language barrier, that communication barrier for my first, I would say for my first two years until I started watching like music videos and hip hop videos and I started learning the term. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like, how did you, how did it pick up so fast? I started watching TV, but I started watching, I really started watching BET, man. Yeah. I started watching BET so I can understand to get on on game on on what's happening locally, understand the the lingo. Right, right. 
did you did you after that first year of, of kind of indoctrinating yourself into the the you know this culture did you meet any friends along the way that kind of helped you kind of uh expedite that gap was like hey this is what this means you know because i'm sure you were probably i know you man like you're, you're a stand-up guy like you speak your mind i know once you figured out how to express yourself and how to get your way you didn't waste any time so did, did you have any guys along the way that you could confide in it's like okay these are my guys they're gonna look out for me early on no it took me till i got to fifth grade no no sixth grade sixth grade is when i really that two-year barrier for me to really understand but i did have mm -hmm. classmates that kind of showed me they always thought they called me like man where you from man i'm like from sierra leone it's like where the hell is that i'm like Africa. <laughs> and the first thing I always say was the uh, coming to America movie. Boy, <laughs> you, you know, lions and tigers and shit. And I'm like, no, no, lions and tigers. They're like, man, are you a up, man? You royalty? And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. My bad. It ain't funny, but it's funny. <laughs> it's funny, but here's the thing i had never seen coming to america prior to that so oh, it was so right. new the first time i saw coming to america it took me back <laughs> to when i first came to america because those were the same questions those kids right. my friends so i went to school with were asking me but i did yeah, meet some classmates who helped me along the way they showed me hey man it's not how you do it and right. like i never used to play i never played video games i remember the first time i played video games i'm like what is this they gave me a controller, right. like Nintendo, and I'm, right. I'm like, who this? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> well, the things that you take for granted, all, all yeah. the, and you got somebody coming into an environment that never been before, never been exposed to, all mm -hmm. of those things helped shape me, but he allowed me to grow exponentially because right. I was thrown into the wolves in the fire and I was able to come out of it and refine yeah. who I was and I'm grateful. Yeah, no, I, I am too, Max. I wanna I wanna go to uh the time that, you know, in college, you know, what what type of guy you are, man, because uh I didn't know you had such a that was a that could be traumatic in in a certain sense, man. Some kids don't really figure it out. Thank goodness you did, because you helped a lot of people along the way. And particularly myself and uh, a quick story. I don't know if you remember, cause I think I was in everybody's room, dorm at some point. When I got, when I got to Maryland, you know, me being from Florida, I thought I was better than everybody. You know, you have this like, this competitive arrogance, if you will. And I didn't know how to like, I had never left the state of Florida. I had never, I never had this many big brothers in my life. And I remember, me trying to figure it out and me, my grades suffered and things like that. And I remember you were one of those people. I don't know if did anyone put you up to it, but like, why was I in your room doing my studying and doing classwork in college? Did you come, did you, I don't remember if you approached me or did uh, uh, Locks or Friedgen, but I remember you were one of those people, Dominique, I was in Suda's room, your room and like, you were that big brother to me. So I appreciate it. And you know, what, what happened with that? Did someone approach you about it or what's the, so I don't know if I know the answer to it. Well, I think part of it is I had uh, my, my background because I came in, I came into Maryland. I was a, I was a walk on. Right. And there are some differences in having to adjust physically, but also academically the requirement. Right. 
And I went through something similar to what you went through, except I was a transfer. And one of the things that it goes back to my background. When I came to this country, I struggled, right? And when I went to Maryland early, before you got there, I struggled. So when you see somebody in in a situation similar to, similar like you, you want to help them. So that you're like, hey, this is the mistakes I made. So my biggest thing was to share, hey man, this is what I did wrong. And if you do those, if you if you encounter this, just beware of it. Not saying our situation was going to be the same, but just try to you know give a helping hand because along the way somebody helped me to figure this shit out and right. you know, how to do it. And right, right. for me, it's each one teach one, and somebody always give me uh, a helping hand. And whenever I have opportunities, the same. It's just paying it forward, man. That's what it was. And somebody told me that about paying it forward. And I think yeah. Tony Akalawan and uh, Tony Jackson, some of the older guys that played in front of me when I transferred, they always mm-hmm. paid it. And they always say, right. "Man, when you when your time come, you do the same thing, just like we helped right. you." So right. I didn't have it academically when I transferred. I thought it was just going to be easy, just like you. And then right. Right. it's my first semester, and then I'm like, "All right, let me figure this out." So right. Right. the opportunity was just from learned experience, man. And I'm glad that you were receptive to it. You one of the people that was receptive to it, and look where you are now, man. And you were able yeah. to thrive and figure that out of yourself. And, and and make a way for yourself. So yeah, I had a lot of help along the way, but I got a little too far ahead of myself. I want to go back to let's go back. Let's go back to after the transition, after you you leave Sierra Leone, you get here, you 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 get to I think you said middle school, high school, where you have some friends that kind of, you know, you you got a, a solid foundation of friends that kind of help you kind of navigate through this world. When did football become introduced to you? That's what uh, I want to know. Funny, man. Football. So sixth grade, I moved to Atlanta, Maryland, which is mm-hmm. my home. And it changed my entire perspective on academics and football. Prior mm-hmm. to moving to Atlanta, I never played football. I played baseball and I played soccer predominantly. And I, mm-hmm. I thought I was good at those two sports. Right. And it wasn't until the kids in the neighborhood started inviting me outside on Saturday to like play. They needed they needed people. I was the new kid that moved into the neighborhood, and they were right. like, "Hey, I'm knocking my door. Hey, man, we playing football. You want to come?" At wait, first, wait, was, let me let me let me let me stop you for once. Did you know what game you were playing? Hell no, know? man. Look, I don't even <laughs> I didn't know the rules. I didn't know nothing about football, man. I all I know was. There's some kids in the neighborhood came knocking on my door the same right. age as me. They were, you know, they looked like me. They played right. they wanted somebody to play with. I was just excited that they saw me. Right. You want, you had someone to play with. I had somebody to play with. And at the time, mm-hmm. like I said, I was the only child. So it was like right. I was always by myself. Right. And right. Another thing, too, I wasn't allowed to watch television much, so I couldn't entertain myself. So I was either outside oh. reading or something. Right, so, right. When those kids came knocking on my door, I was like, oh, man, I can get out of this house. I can go outside. But the only sport they were playing was basketball and football. And I didn't know mm-hmm. how to play either one of them. So wow. yeah. I that I met some kids along the way that kind of showed me. They taught me how to play football. And wow. a, part of, a lot of them been playing since they were six, seven years old. So when I moved there, they were, little, they were way advanced. Right. And those were the kids that are still my friends to this day, who you've met, like J.D. Yeah, Ryan. yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Solid dudes, dudes, man. Always saying those are the kids that came knocking on my door. And that's mm. why I, I kind of hold on to them dearly because mm. when I when I needed they taught me more about how to how to play football than actually Yeah, they, and they're good dudes too, man. They good, good, solid dudes, dudes. Man. Great dudes, all have families, married, doing well in their careers. So I'm very grateful that I'm my parents moved in. And this is a milestone for my parents too, because that was the first time they actually owned a property in America. Right. Like we went from apartment to it was a milestone because now they, they actually have ownership or right. own their own home. So it was a big and uh right. it was celebrated in the household because it was a turning point for us because we went from we're not just here no more. We actually own a piece of something here. Right, right, right. So it was it was important. So um, that that that's awesome. So basically that's where your foundation was laid from a football standpoint, was your staple. Your staple yeah. of uh, your staple of friends who you're still close yeah. with today, they yeah. taught you the game in a way. It's like, okay, this is how we do things. So when did it become so how did you start? So that's one thing to be introduced to it, but you went on to play nine years in the National Football League, you in high school. Or okay, so were you highly touted? What what was that? <laughs> did you play at, at 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 um what ninth grade? Did you play all four years? Like what was what was the high school experience like for you? In terms right. of football, because I would imagine your first love was probably, you know, uh, American soccer, or not yeah. American soccer, but football. football. And now you're over here. It was American. It was soccer. So I'm. A, I would imagine that was your first kind of introduction in the sports that you that you were familiar with. When did football become such a, you know, take a, such a stronghold in your life to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to play in high school? Man. You might have, this might be out of a movie or something, but <laughs> those same guys that introduced me to football, they decided uh, to go out for junior varsity. Nice. See, I knew it. I knew it. I, it had to be your mob of guys to like, those wild man. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. There was a shortage on the JV team. I wasn't. I, I wasn't playing no football. One, my mother and my my father didn't want me to play, and secondly, I was only like 110 pounds. There's no way. Never put on a helmet, never put on shoulder pads before. So ninth grade came, first week of school, all of those guys were staying after school. But I was riding the bus home. At that time, I figured out how to ride the bus. <laughs> so I'm, riding the bus. <laughs> right, right. I'm riding the bus home, and I noticed those guys weren't there. So the next day, I asked them. I said, man, why, why don't I on the bus? What's going on? Because uh, we staying after school, man. We playing football. Man, we got a couple more spots, man. We need some people. Why don't you come out? And I'm like, nah, man, I don't do that. That's not what I do. I, I kick the ball. Right. I, you know, I, right. I was like, nah, man, look, I just need you to come out there so we can have a team, man. Because right now, mm-hmm. if we don't have people by certain time, they're going to cut, they're going to scrap the JV. And then all of us have to move up to like varsity just so they can have bodies. So which high school is this? Dubai High School in uh, Dubai, Atlanta, Okay. Atlanta. So it. I ended up going out for the team. But the issue was, I needed my, I had to convince my parents to sign a permission slip to allow me to play. Ah. Unbeknownst yeah. to my parents, they read football and thought it was soccer. Ah, I see. And they signed a permission slip thinking it was going to be soccer. It was <laughs> right. called football. So my yeah. mother actually went out and purchased soccer cleats for me, thinking <laughs> that it was soccer. <laughs> right. Until I came home. After handing in the permission slip, they gave me equipment. 
Right. Shoulder pads, helmets, all there. Well, you're carrying it. I'll carry it home. And my mom said, what is that? What, what are you mm-hmm. doing? I said, mom, this is my equipment. She said, equipment. What are you doing? She said, I bought you these. This is all you need. These are the cleats. And I said, right. oh, I need those too, but I need these to play. She said, are you going to play American football? And I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. She said, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Said, mm-hmm. Okay. She said, well, listen, I don't have any refund on this. So you got to go ahead and wear these. So I wore my first year playing American football in ninth grade. I wore soccer the entire season. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? As long as you was out there, bro. I was, was out there. there. You was out there with your boys. I get it. I get it. You know, well, my I was out there, but <laughs> I was out there. I wasn't worth a dime. Like, I didn't know yeah. nothing. I didn't know the rules. Like, my boy Bishop Brown had the uh, first to practice. We got in trouble because we were late. I didn't know how to put my pads in the pants. Like, <laughs> I didn't know where the pads were supposed to go. <laughs> right. yeah, help with me. Hey, well, they, they would probably set you up too in a little bit. It's like, hey, man, let's, get, let's get let's get your by here, man, because he don't know what he's doing. Look, I was just green, man. I was green. I didn't know nothing, right? And this dude, to this day, I always remember because when we came out for practice, we were so late. They ran both of us, and the coach uh-huh. asked him, "Why y'all late?" And he rather than say, "Man, I'm helping this fool right here," trying to get his pad, he just said, "Hey, coach." He took the L. He just said, "Hey, coach, sorry, coach. We just had some homework. We had to finish." Okay, okay, that's, that's cool. Say, that's my guy, man. Because that's cool. He said, "Man, I'm helping cool. this dude because he don't know what it, what he's doing." He right, like, right, right. He threw me under the bus, and that's love. We ran for the for the first fifteen minutes, man. We just ran. And we just ran. And by the time we finished running, I was gassed because one, I'm never I'm not used to wearing equipment. I have 10 more pounds added to me. And <laughs> right. I'm shape. And then I find out that I knew all my life I had asthma. Mm. But football kind of exposed my asthma because I was off my inhaler because I wasn't playing any sports. Right. And right. after that day. I couldn't even practice my first day. They just kind of put me on the side because after that, I had to take everything off. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> right, right. Like, that was an adjustment, man. I had, it was an adjustment. Then I had to, like <laughs> tell him, like, "Hey, he needs in his. He needs his. And uh, I need my inhaler." And then the coach had to carry my inhaler before practice. Man, and, and you stuck like, with this. You were out there all wrong. You didn't know how to put your your, your pants in the no. pants. No. You didn't have your inhaler. You <laughs> started off running laps. Well, you started <laughs> off all wrong. Man. And that's why, man. And I had to take my 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 two my two puffs before practice. <laughs> Embarrassing the coach, like man. They had to keep it on. They had to keep it on him because you never knew what was going to happen to me. So, oh man, yeah. They had they had to look out for you. You you were they, they probably thought you was a pre Madonna, but yeah, you just didn't know what you was. I didn't know into. nothing, bro. I didn't know anything, man. And that's why to this day, one of the questions people in my graduating class. They always say, how did he made it? Of everybody played, <laughs> how did he made it? Hey, listen, yeah. I, I tell you, I tell you this. Anybody that has come from where you come from, and we're gonna get into that about Sierra Leone, the mission trips and things that you've done off the field. The football stuff is great, but I really want to highlight your big heart and what you've done throughout uh your career and legacy that you continue to do. So where do you start? So I guess you start with the school. 
what I didn't mention in the intro was you built for, for those who don't know, Madhu Williams, not only did he give his school a huge endowment, probably the youngest um, endowment they had ever received from a 28 year old at that amount, two million, which is a ton of money. But that's one thing. But the most impactful thing that he's done, in my opinion, is create a school. He built the school in his hometown of right outside of Freetown, right um, Sierra Leone. Yep. And I had a chance to go on a mission trip with Madhu when he was putting all this together. And this mission trip consisted of doctors, nurses, OBGYNs, teachers, volunteers. I think I was the only volunteer. I think everyone else had a specific you know, job and I felt like I had to like prove myself, but I know that's funny, but uh, you know, it's funny, but it's not. But I felt like, again, you came around again the second time in my life where I was going through a tough time. I was, my, I felt like my life, I, I had been injured um, two years in a row. Um, I, I was a second round draft pick. I was spending money that I, that I had, but I was assuming I was gonna sign another contract. So. I was spending money like, like I like you would drink water, too much, and I was injured. I thought my career was over, and I remember when you called me. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, Yerk, but that call, th there's moments in your life and choices in your life that you make that you either go here, you go here, or you go there. And that was one of those times where I was feeling sorry for myself. I was, I was, I was just in a rough place mentally and physically. And when you called me and you told me, hey, you know, I got to school, I created in honor of my mother. Uh, it's in Sierra Leone. I'm like, what the hell is Sierra? Like, wait, what? And wait, Africa? You want me to really go to Africa? I got all this, that, and the other going on. I felt I was feeling sorry for myself. And I'll try to keep this story as quick as I can because we got so much other things to talk about. But I made the decision to do it and it completely changed my life from the standpoint of what I value in my priorities. Before that trip, you know it, I had the Range Rover with the 22 inch wheels, the low profile tires, the strut grill, the big earrings, the big chain, which is nothing wrong with having chain and jewelry and all, but that wasn't who I was. That wasn't, that wasn't me. And when you put, you drop that person off in a place that is, Anyone in the States that never visited a place like Sierra Leone, you don't know what poor is. Don't take this the wrong way, but the, the, when you see people on the side of the road, they may have some mental issues or what have you. I'm not taking that away from them, but they have clothes. They have, they have shoes for the most part. And more than likely, someone's going to give them some food. In Sierra Leone, there, was, there wasn't any of that. There was, and I'm trying to paint a picture of where you come from so people can really understand the, the, like where you come from and like why you are who you are. I get transplanted there and the, I don't know if you know this, Jerk, but the first two days I cried like a baby. I cried like a baby. Wow. I cried. When we got back, I just cried because I couldn't wrap my head around these little kids that we were, we were around and, and, and I just, I kept looking around at what they didn't have as opposed to how they were living their life. These kids had smiles on their faces. They didn't, uh, you know, the, the adults, they didn't, they didn't make excuses for themselves. They were, everyone was normal. And all I could think about was what they didn't have. And then it kind of was like looking in the mirror. I had to look at myself, I was like, wait a minute. 
You got everything at your fingertips. Why are you feeling sorry for yourself? These people don't even have a trash system. These people don't have, you know, clean water to drink. They don't know where the next meal will come from. They, these people barely have clothes. And here I am making excuses for myself and feeling sorry for myself. I know I went on a tangent there, but I just want to paint this picture of, you know, the, what that experience was like. So to get back into what I initially started to talk about was your school. When did yep. that become, when did you know after, you know, you get to Maryland, you have a great career, uh, you get drafted second, second round to the Cincinnati Bengals. At what point did you start to think, you know what? I know if you don't mind me saying you had lost your mother in college, mm -hmm. which was a huge blow uh, after everything that you had been through. Um, at the time, you had your younger brother, Michael, you had to take care of. And that was that was like a young man growing up. You know, you had to become you had to grow up very quick. And not only did you do it and, and crush it. You built a school in your home country. Please talk to me about that. Man, that's sometimes you don't. Re, I didn't realize the impact that had on you, man. I just, we, you know, you you like a brother to me, and it was an opportunity for me. For me, selfishly, I just wanted to hang out, and I knew that was something that I was doing. I'm like, why don't I hang out with my friend while we doing something? <laughs> you know, hang out. so yeah. Uh, the whole idea for the school came about even before my mom passed away. Um, she was always someone that gave. She was a giver. Um, she, she always. It was one of those things I used to. I, I never used to understood. I never understood it, and I was very reluctant to tell my mom this. But I used to envy her why she used to help out so many people in Sierra Leone, and I used to say, "You don't even have a whole lot to give, but you're willing to give the people why." But she always told me, "My dear, you don't understand." She said, one day, I hope you'll understand. And I'm like, whatever. And just like any other kid, I became so, uh, I was acculturated to America and I became more about football. Everything, football took over my life from 10th right. grade on. My life revolved around football and nothing else matters. But when right. she passed away, it gave me an opportunity to step outside and say, what else does this life is all about like football is where football is going great uh i finally reached my goal of being drafted playing in the national football league but what else and one thing I'll, i always go back to was something she always used to say she said, my mom used to tell me is you were more than just this is just a platform mm -hmm. this is just the beginning she used to tell me this is just the beginning this is god's plan but it's just the beginning right. and just remember there's more to you playing to your life than just playing football. So I said that to say, she already set the course of what my life would be even before, in my eyes, life really began. And when she passed away, I had to go back to my, the foundation of who I was and it stems from who she was and who I, and that's what drove me going back to Sierra Leone because prior to that, I had lost a lot of touch, I had lost touch with Sierra Leone. I didn't plan on going back, I had no reason to go back, I'm an American. I'm doing the things that I'm doing here. But when right. she passed away, it, I, a part of me was lost and I needed to figure it out. Who am I? Redefine, right. Redefine who I was. And who I was for me began, my life began there because that's where I was born. And who was my mom and who was my dad? The answers were in Sierra Leone, even though they were here. 
I had to go back and redefine and rediscover who Medea Williams was. And when I look at myself in the mirror, I need to be able to answer that. And it was a in my life where honestly, I did not know who that person was. It wasn't that I was doing anything negative or anything like that. It was just, I lost touch. It was just life. Right. So when she passed away, I needed to do, I just wanted to figure out who I was. And part of figuring it out was how can I honor my mom in a way? And she was so pro-education that the mm-hmm. school was fitting at the time. I'm not from Calaba town where the school is, but mm-hmm. after the 10 year civil war, a lot of the citizens that, are, that were in Calaba town were displaced. Mm-hmm. They're from other parts of Sierra Leone that migrated to run away from the horrors and the terror of, of, of the war. So the government of Sierra Leone placed them there and settled them there in Calaba town, but there was no school. And while I was there, I found out about Calaba town, went and visited it. And I thought, I said, you know what, this would be a good place to do something that is a need, a school, mm-hmm. a need for school. Let's build a school. And be able to honor my mom in that way. So I was able to name the school after her. But um, that that whole process for me, it was uh, it was a changing point in my life, just like it was for you, uh, where I was trying to figure who I am too, who I was, yeah. how that I was yeah. in, in football. It just looked a little different, but it was like, man, I'm lost. I mean, we were successful in the eyes of, of the world. We had everything mm-hmm. at our fingertips. But me internally, I was struggling in terms of figuring out who is that man in the mirror and what is my substance? What is my value outside of playing the game of football? Um, And the foundation, the school gave me that purpose again because it became one of those things where it steamrolled, man. It steamrolled um, doing it one year, two years, the mission trips with a doctor, healing hands, the teachers, Mm -hmm. boys Latin. The partnership with the University of Maryland School of Public Health is. And, I want to. I want to talk about that. I want to. I definitely want to talk about is. that. How you were able to parlay your vision and what your mother had instilled in you as what's important and what's not, and to be able to partner with it was the student body, the engineering um, engineers without borders, engineers without borders, mm-hmm. uh, and weren't they able to to? So the plan was weren't they did or. Let me slow down for a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Weren't they able to install solar panels at your school? And is the school still currently operating today? Still operating today. The last, so the last, I'm still talking to the principal. Technology has, has kind of decreased the barrier of communication because I can talk to the principal. I can talk to the vice principal in real time. And this school has been here, what, more than 15 years? Yeah, 17 years now. 17 years. That's incredible, man. I got to give it to you, bro. Because what that trip meant to me, and I feel like everyone really close to me knows this, but I really truly hadn't sat you down to explain to you the effect because I was, bro, when I tell you I was ready to give up, I was ready to give the the F up Mm. because the way I envisioned my life, was not the way I envisioned it was not the reality at that moment. And you said you just wanted to hang out with a friend, just that small gesture. I remember at that time I was at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, Mm -hmm. and a guy by the name of Trevor Muau, and he was a sports psychiatrist. 
but he was always around the training facilities and, and, you know, always around the guys that were training there. And I was trying to rehab and get back to the season. And uh, he always would invite me to his, oh, hey, man, come, come talk to me. And me being who I was, I was like, man, I don't, man, who is this guy? Like, I'm, I don't need a therapist. I don't need a therapist. Like, what, what, what? So he kept, he didn't, he wasn't pushy. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to like say, I'm that he, he wanted to be my friend first. So once we developed that communication, I walked into his office one day and this story had is, 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 I mean, it's just, he finally opened my eyes. It was like, why not? You know, you got this, that, and the other going on. Like it probably would be beneficial for you to get outside of your step outside of yourself, the norm. And first I thought he was crazy as hell, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I remember calling him like, you're, I'm going. I'm doing it. And I remember getting like 15, 20 shots. And after the the, the fifth one, I'm like, man, I don't know if this is, I don't know. If this is. <laughs> but, but I did it. But I did it. And it was the most impactful moment of my life. I met some great friends who I'm still in touch with today. Jaime Flores, who's a doctor down in Miami, former Turk, um, you know, Marco Avila. I met some great, phenomenal people that just wanted to do good. And when you're around those people in that environment, you sacrifice everything to go. This isn't a tourist attraction. You know, you go there to help. Far from. Far from it. And the legacy that you leave behind, the fact that the school is still in touch, has been remarkable. But can you talk about how that relationship, once you were able to um, uh, build the structure, get the school running, how did that uh, marriage or a relationship with University of Maryland and the engineering student body kind of come in play? Well, it's uh, one of those things where you build it, but you originally don't know the impact you will have or how you will continue to move forward. But I realized I had to tap into the pre-existing relationships that I already have. And mm-hmm. one of the things I remember I wrote in, um, I have I keep a journal and I write in it sometimes random things, not understanding exactly how things are going to connect. But years later, I like to look back and see. So around those time, around that time, I wrote connection between Prince George's County. I had my foundation in the middle connection mm-hmm. between Prince George's County, University of Maryland. But I didn't know mm-hmm. how those two things will connect. And I have to give credit to Daryl Pines, who is now the president of the University of Maryland. He approached me when he while he was the dean of the engineering department and said, hey, let's go to lunch. At first, I was very reluctant to do it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up just going just to be respectful. And we had a great conversation and he had a great heart. And he told me, he said, listen, I know what you're trying to do and mm-hmm. I want to partner with you. This is the vision I have. but I want to hear your vision first and see if we can work together. And I left the meeting so encouraged by what uh, President Pines said during that time that I knew that the partnership was going to work because he told me, I'm committed. I'm committed to what you're doing. I like what you're doing. It's not about you. I know that. Mm -hmm. It's about the mission. It's about building communities and and making things better. And from that, we just meet at least every six months and we kind of sketched out how we go about doing it. And we've been mm-hmm. in partnership for the last eight, nine years, man. It's been phenomenal. Not only have the yeah. students from the University of Maryland School of Engineering benefited, but public health has also benefited. And right. one of my 
greatest joy is when I watch the University of Maryland on television and yeah. they talk about the impact that the University of Maryland is making as a university. Right. It's powerful. And they show like what the university is doing, whether they're in the in the computer lab or in the field. There's always a five-second image of what's going on in Sierra Leone. Most people probably don't even realize what it is. That's amazing. That's amazing. It is a is a snapshot of our school. And the mm -hmm. students at the University of Maryland are working with our kids, working with mm -hmm. the school, installing solar panels, doing a water filtration system. So the kids, the student students are making the trip to Sierra Leone every summer. Yeah. That is Every that is amazing. That just gave me chills. Yeah. Because I tell my wife all the time, I tell her about this trip. This The first trip I ever made to Sierra Leone, I think, was 2010. And it still resonates with me to this day. I can still put myself back in that environment, back in those little kids and, and, and playing with them and, and teaching them how to use a pencil sharpener and teaching them, you know, they didn't know how to use a pencil sharpener. I mean, that that's the type of you know, impact that you've had. Imagine that kid that didn't know how to use a, a pencil sharpener or a number two pencil, what she's taught the next generation coming before her. That That is a legacy that you can't, that's, that's more impactful than giving money. That's time, right. that's legacy. That is something that, uh, you know, I don't have the word for it. But I tell my wife all the time, it's like when my son gets old enough, because he lives a, he, he lives a charmed life, I, you know, nothing wrong with that. But at some point when he's able to understand why mommy and daddy work so hard and you're able to take trips and eat and go wherever and wear nice clothes, you need to put your he's going back. He's going to Sierra Leone. Yeah. He's going to that school. He needs to see kids just like himself that you know, because he's going to have the same. It, it affects you. It, it really it, it really affects you because you don't you don't fathom if you read a book about it, if you see pictures about it, it's completely different than planting yourself in that environment. And to see someone like yourself not only make something of themselves to just the amount of the, the impact, that's what all of us want to leave behind as a legacy. How we how will we be remembered? And uh I think it, it speaks volumes to, you know, you have you know, very affluent people that attend University of Maryland. And the fact that the engineering group and the president decided this is important for our kids to not only give back, to find creative ways to improve uh, lives and education and healthcare of these young people at this school, but to actually make a trip and go there. Uh, kudos to you, man. That's, that's impactful. Thank you, man. And I also say kudos to President Pines, man, because years ago when we had that conversation, like I mentioned, it was kind of like in one yard the other and not realizing how impactful and where it was going to lead. And years later, when I look back, it's just it brings it brings a smile on my face that that kid from Sierra Leone that came here at nine years old is able to go back and bring people to bring resources into the community. Yes. Sierra Leone. Um, to me, that's what it was all about. And it made me realize that I came in full circle in terms of me going to University of Maryland. It made me feel like it was bigger than just what I did on the football field. Yeah, yeah. Bigger than I love playing with Dominique and, and Karome and, and all our crew, Sean. 
it Burn. only lasts this much of our life. You know, but you know? when I when I look at the bigger the biggest impact I've made by attending University of Maryland, it goes to the foundation. It goes back to University of Maryland partnering with me to improve the lives of Sierra Leone. To me, there's nothing bigger. There's nothing that I could ever ask for other than that. So mm-hmm. my cup is full when it comes to the decision I ever made to attend the University of Maryland right. because I'm able to get it back like two, right. three poles. And, uh, and the, the community which I came from is able to impact on that decision. So right. I, I'm very grateful for that. So I have to say I cannot... So I'm just, I, I'm, I'm racking my brain about, okay, Europe has been involved in this and that, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what else, what else am I missing that we hadn't talked about? And it, it struck me. It struck me. So after a nine-year career in the National Football mm-hmm. League, you, you partnered with the University of Maryland. Uh, you know, we talked at length about that. Uh, you've given a huge endowment, endowment to create this global health initiative to the University of Maryland. You built a school, as we talked about. And in all of this, you find a way to go to law school. Please, what, when it's like, can you not, what else can you not, like what what else are you planning? What's in the near future? And when did you decide, like, you know what? I've known you for years. I've never once heard you talk about, you know what, law school is gonna be the move. It just kind of, how did you fall? How how did that become uh, another another notch on your belt? (laughs) Man, it was one of those things where you, you, you finish, you finish football, you're looking at what's next. As we're athletes and we're naturally like, we love challenges. We're always mm-hmm. looking for the next thing that's going to give us that rush. And for mm-hmm. me, nothing really gave me that rush of football and I don't think nothing ever will. <laughs> you know me, I'm a, I'm a real junkie, man. Like, we'll a jump, we we'll skydive, we do it all. Right. Right. I've always been looking for something and um, I've always been intellectually curious. I've right. always read, and that's something that my parents kind of instilled in me. I've always read mm-hmm. as a kid, and I've always read as an adult. It, mm-hmm. it stuck with me, and I, I'm an information person. So lost yeah. opportunity came. My wife, we were pregnant with uh, our daughter, and my wife was like, you know, if you're going to go back to school, you need to do it now. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to go back, this is the time to do it because right. By the time our daughter is three, you should be done. Right. Whatever. So she right. kind of mapped out. The, and I'm like, and I never thought about it. <laughs> right. And that gave me the juice. I said, you know what? She said, do it now. If not, I don't want to hear about it. Right. So right. Right. I went ahead and started studying and hold and behold, got in there and did my thing. Man, I don't know what <laughs> I was thinking, bro. Because <laughs> now I'm married, have kids. And I'm studying and doing homework while they doing homework. So, right. It's like because I bit off more than I can chew. And then the natural ath- athlete in me was like, I can't quit. You're too competitive. I'm right. too competitive. I got to finish. So right. it was a thing where I was like, I just got to finish. And right. I dug deep. I went into overdrive, got into playbook a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, watch some game film, study. And, and prepared yeah. and got out of there. So I'm grateful that right. I had opportunity to go. I learned so much mm-hmm. about this, the law and how it interacts with us on a daily basis. And more importantly, mm-hmm. for African-Americans, how it affects us and how the mm-hmm. laws are written dispropor- dispropor- disproportionately against us. And right. 
right. made me realize that, you know what, I have this information I cannot share with other people. So uh, every every opportunity right. I get to talk to people about just the unjust laws that are books and things like that. Sure. I always share that because most people don't really, you know, they live, they live their life not really knowing what's happening. Sure. Sure. That That's great, man. That That's, that's awesome. Uh, I want to bring up, I know, I know you got a busy schedule, so um, I got a few more questions that then I have this little, this Q and a, this kind of pick six, I call it, where I okay. ask you six random questions. They don't have anything to do with anything. You just, <laughs> there, you ask them, and you kind of go with it. But before, before we get to that, um, I want to hear just one. Do you have one of those? Uh, oh, I know what you brought up the fact that uh, you brought up bungee jumping. And I want to tell that quick story of how that kind of happened <laughs> because I was involved in that. Uh, so, you're, so I know you guys have heard me call him Yurt. That's his nickname. You know, because anytime he, he's, you know, if we're around him or if we're close to him and he sees us, we don't see him. If you hear Yurt, you know who it's coming from. <laughs> That's Madupa. So uh, the story I want to tell is, so Yurt is getting married. And so he has a, a bachelor party. And we're in, we're in, what, Costa Rica? Costa Rica. Costa Rica, we're in Costa Rica, and the stable that he talked about from a very young age, you know, uh, introducing him to football and and kind of being in his corner and kind of showing him the ropes when he made the transition from Sierra Leone to the States. It's the same mob of guys. So I, I get to meet him for the first time. We hit it off. We have a great time. But we're there for, I think, a few days or what have you. But Yurt decides to – are you there, Yurt? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Yurt decides, he was like, okay, I have this one day plan. And it was like, okay, cool. That's, you know, we didn't just come here overnight. Of course it's planned. He's like, no, I got a day plan. I want all you guys, you guys have to promise to do it. I'm like, hold on, man. Like, what? Hold on. What's going on here? Like, I was like, all right, cool. And how many of us? It was like, what? No, it was about 10 of us. It was about 10 of us. About 10 of us, right? All black guys, right? (laughs) <laughs> and you're going to know why I'm saying it's all black guys. So the day comes, he has a bus outside for us. We drive like an hour or something. No one knows where we're going other than Europe. We show up, we pull up, and I remember looking. I'm like, what in the hell is this? It's a bungee jump situation where there's a pool on the bottom. I'm like, oh, hell no. I ain't doing this. I'm not doing this. It's 10 black guys. I was like, hold, hold on, bro. I was like, we're not doing this. But end of the story is so basically what happened is the based on the bungee jumping, it, it, it was the last person to go was the heaviest. And of course, my ass was the heaviest. So I had to watch nine other guys bungee jump and think about it for an hour, whatever it is. So when it's my time to go, everyone's down uh, below and there's a countdown and you're sitting at the edge after they get you hooked up. And my feet are on the edge and I'm looking down like, what am I doing? This is a bad decision. If I make it out of this, I'm gonna punch your like your is gonna have to hear from me. Like I cannot handle this. The countdown happens. Everyone down uh, down below is counting. The guy pushes me off, and I remember blacking out. I remember I blacked out. I hit the pool. I came up. You know, my body's just jumping around or whatever. And I come to, and I remember. I don't know whether it was you or somebody had the camera, and they asked me like, "Would you ever do this again?" And my eyes are bloodshot red. And I remember thinking, I'm like, am I alive? I couldn't feel my body. Oh, but this is the type of person Madhu is, man. Like, as much as he is committed and, mm-hmm. and dedicated to the cause, 
he'll do some random shit like that and it shows you for a loop. <laughs> and it was and it was a great experience, man. So have you done anything? Have, have you have you done anything like that since then? Have you um, um so from that, because I I live to see another day, <laughs> I, I kind of want to skydive. And if I do it, I know who to call. Call me, call me. Hey, you know what? That was the last like dear double stunt I took because after that, uh, Ruth told me my wife was like, "No, no more. That's it. Yeah. That's it." Okay. You know, so okay. I, I haven't done anything since then, man. So That's cool. Decided uh, to skydive. Let me know. Okay. All right. So cool. I had to tell that quick story. So now we'll get into what I call a pick six. All right. Okay. I got six questions. I'm gonna just, you know, throw them at you. It's it's it's, it's pretty easy. Some. No, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, so question number one. What's your favorite movie or sitcom? Martin. Martin. I knew Martin. it. I knew it. Okay. Martin, okay. Man. Like a good laugh. Yeah. yeah. Funny. Yeah. And just the characters. Uh, mm -hmm. um, it's relatable. Right. It's relatable to me, man. It's, it's comedic. It's classic. Yeah. Uh, Coming to America in there with Eddie Murphy and uh, our senior hall. I don't like the, the remake that you, that came out during the uh, COVID, the quarantine. The, yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah, a big fan I like of that. The original, man. I like the original. Yeah. Funny nah. stuff, man. Funny. Right, right. Okay, cool, cool. So, Martin, I feel you on that. I would say the same thing. So, question number two, what was your first job? My first ever job, I worked yes. at Kmart, and I, I got fired after two weeks, man. <laughs> what? How did you get fired, you I was sleeping on the job, man. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going over. I was sleeping in the back because I was in high school, and we had track practice. And then I'll go in and work, and I'll and I'll close. But then the hour break turned into an hour and thirty, and my manager yeah. was like, "Listen, man, if I catch you sleeping in the back." Longer than your break again, you're gone. So hey, listen, I, I can relate all too well. That's exactly how I got fired at a grocery <laughs> store in high school. I was over, I was I was sleeping on the toilet while looking at magazines for over an hour. <laughs> all right, cool. Okay, so this this one here, I can't, but I, I, I came up with this question because I kind of want to know for my own, you know, mm -hmm. personal whatever. So question number three. What was the first thing you bought after you signed your first NFL contract? First thing I bought, mm -hmm. I, I bought a futon, man. <laughs> I, listen, what I still have it. And oh, I know. I, listen, I it, it don't surprise it. me. It does not surprise me. You still have this futon, man. Throw that away, man. Oh, you throw sound like my wife. You sound you like made far too much money. Throw Listen, that away. <laughs> everywhere I move, I always take it with me. It's just, oh my lord. You know why I got it though? I used to love Saved by the Bell, the show. <laughs> and, uh, and and when they went to college, they always had the uh, the futon in, in the seat. So I always okay. said, when I get old, I was going to get one. So that was, okay. first, that was literally the first thing I bought. I, I You know what? That does not surprise me. Most, most people say a, a, a truck or some jewelry or something. I, that does not surprise me. Okay. <laughs> Question number four. This is, this is actually, I'm very interested in this one. Question number four is what's the one thing that you want that you would not buy for yourself? Ooh, man. You can, you can think about it a little bit. I don't care what it is. It could be anything, you know, car, clothing. It doesn't matter. Vacation, whatever. 
No, man, we were blessed, man. Uh, when I say that, yeah. I don't say it lightly. There's not a lot we want. But I used to wear jewelry just like you, man. I used to wear mm-hmm. earrings, and and mm-hmm. I was one of the long, big chain. And then when I made it, I was like, uh, I'm yeah, like, it was like, nah. It, once you realize how much it costs, yeah, and like, like, oh, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I would say a chain, one of those ropes. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, you know what? If I remember, I give you, you know, something like this, a little, little. You know, yeah. innocent chain you keep underneath, you know. Yeah, it's right. nice, man. All right. All right. So question number five. That's that's a good answer. Question number five. Uh, what are you really bad at? Because you've been so great. We've highlighted everything you've been great at from football to philanthropy. What are you really bad at? That I you are willing swim. to admit. I cannot swim. And okay. the okay. sad thing is my okay. children who are avid swimmer, love to swim. Mm-hmm. Now that it's summer, they're in the pool a lot, and mm-hmm. I'm still that. I go on vacation with, with my family. I'm the guy that got to wear a light vest. That that's all good, but you know what? We're gonna we're gonna get you right because I got a phone number for you because I can swim. We built the pool last year, but mm-hmm. I got somebody for you, man. Because you yeah, you can really enjoy. I got something for you, the, funny, man. I, I got need- something for you. I got somebody for you because we we um King is two two and a half now. And last year, a swim instructor would come to the house. Yeah, I know it's a little bougie, but the, the swim instructor would come to the house to teach him. And I was trying to, you know, ask her how to be able to tread water a lot, you know, a lot better. Because yeah. I could tread, but like, if my life is depending on it, uh, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna, it won't be pretty. Let's say that. So man, it's sad, man. Because if, if something happened for my kids, granted they can swim, right. I can't swim yeah. because I'm the one that's gonna be needed. To be safe. <laughs> right, right. We're gonna we're gonna get you squared away with that. All right. Before I get you out here, this is the last question. And I'm very, very curious as to this because again, you're you're a very, you know, serious guy when you need to be serious, but you're actually a funny guy as well. And you <laughs> like to have fun. Uh and you know, from a this is what I don't really know about from a music standpoint. Last question of our pick six, question number six is what was the last concert you attended? And, it, and not kids, not not the kitty concert, an adult concert, last concert you ever attended, or last concert you attended. My wife and I went and saw Brian McKnight. Ooh, okay. Was that an anniversary? Anniversary concert? Oh, it wasn't an anniversary. Um, he he's here, so um, he's at the Strathmore. Um, okay, okay. So we uh, we went and saw him live, and it was a great concert just because he's very talented. He can play multiple instruments, and his voice is not bad. Okay, okay. Listen, you're, I really appreciate That's all I got, man. Uh, I really appreciate your time, your perspective, and as always, keep making that impact as you always have. And the NFL recognized you over a decade ago. I'm going to keep recognizing the impact that you've had in my life and it trickles over to my wife and my family and keep continue to do what you're doing. I wish you nothing but success. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you, brother, man. Take care. All right. Love you too, brother. Everyone, you don't want to miss this episode as you, if you listen and you followed along, Madhu Williams is one of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> Honestly, outside of my family, uh, what he was able to do for me as a young man, as a young, you know, confused young man in a time where you reach your mid 20s and you really don't know. You think you have your life figured out, but you have no freaking idea. 
And it's just so much to talk about with him that I, I would definitely have to have him on again. Um, and he's made such an impact in my life. If you notice behind me, you see that statue that has the, the man with his hand in his palm. Well, we actually bought that at a market in Sierra Leone together. And before we started taping, you know, we, you know, say hello, make sure all everything is working. And uh, he was like, hey, man, I, I recognize that. Did we, you know, and it was just a great moment to kind of revisit, to, you know, talk about some of the things that, you know, we had done there, some of the great things that we had done there and some of the things that he continues to do. And for three years, I was able to make that trip every year with him because it was so important. Uh, and I want to go back. I want to take my family because I think it's so important for people to realize the, 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 you know, where you are in life and the luxury that I've been afforded through football has given me platforms and has given me the ability to travel and experience things that I always imagined as a young child. So, um, making this trip to Sierra Leone kind of exposed me to traveling. It was like, wow, I had such a great experience. I need to travel some more. So that's what kind of led me to, you know, uh, some of my hobbies and my wife's hobbies. Uh, we love to travel. We love to travel the world and see new things and learn about different cultures. But one thing I want to highlight behind me is the stinking man. It, that's what it's called is it was at a shop in Sierra Leone. And I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. This, what seems to be a gas can. If I can grab it. It's a gas can that I purchased from the same market in Sierra Leone. And this is the epitome of what people in Sierra Leone are about, given the opportunity. And Madhu Williams is one of those people. And this is this was bought for some some old lady who basically had the the vision and the creativity to make what to me is a treasure out of trash. This is actually an instrument. Now, I can't play it, but as you can imagine, that didn't sound like much of anything, but it speaks for itself. So that's one of my treasured uh, gifts from my travels to Sierra Leone. But Either way, you don't want to miss this episode. Madhu Williams is a, a great, wholesome guy, a great guy to know. Um, I've cherished every moment that I've had to be, be around him. He's a funny, fun guy to be around. And what he did for me in college, there was two instances where in college I lost my grandparents. And my grandparents were a huge part of my life. And it was a time in college where I wanted to give up. I didn't know how else to deal with the problems that I was going through. Now, football had taught me at that point to, to fail every day and keep coming back, right? That's what football gives you, that, that perseverance, that confidence to keep pushing through when things necessarily don't go your way. But this was life, and I didn't know how to deal with that. I knew the football side of things, how to deal with things, how to push through, but the, the life side of it, I didn't know how to really challenge that energy. And Madhu was one of those people that talked to me like a grown man, that told me the truth, that basically said, listen, if you don't do your freaking work, 
in my room where I can keep an eye on you, where you can uh, create some sort of rhythm between balancing football and your studies, you won't freaking make it. You will be back home. And I needed someone like that in my life. And a lot of other people did the same. You know, I'm not saying that he was the only one, but a lot of other people did the same. I had academic advisors there who who looked out for me, who would get me out of bed, who who cared, who really cared. And I needed that. But um, it was a rough point in my life. And that was a point where I really you have that moment where he's like, man, this is a I'm always going to be. This guy can ask me to do anything and I'll be here for him. And he was one of those people for me because he didn't have to do that. He was in college. Like, you're not, you don't have any children. You're not, no one's telling you to do all this. He did it out of the kindness of his heart. And that speaks to who he is as a person and the amount of impact that he, he's had and he continues to have. So then he saved my life again. He basically was that, that moment, that decision that I made that I, I speak about with my interviews with, with Madhu was, it really changed my perspective of things. And um, it was a time, again, I felt like the crumbs were falling. <laughs> my, my life was just slowly but surely just being dismantled in front of me and I had no answer. And by speaking to a therapist, by addressing the truth, confronting the truth, and kicking the door in, I did, I stepped outside of myself. And for me, it was the best thing, best decision I've ever made for my well-being. Not from just a football standpoint, because it is what it is, but from a mental health standpoint, I spoke to a therapist, which a lot of guys, still a lot of people, men, women, whatever, a lot of people avoid, and especially in my community, within my community, it's, and it's getting a lot better, but I think we need to talk about it because a lot of people that us that you look at as being successful that are in, you know, uh, rare positions that look like myself, there's a lot of things they have to deal with in order to get to that point, in order to maintain that position and in order to thrive in that position. So I think it's I still, you know, I've spoken to a therapist throughout my life and um, that trip was just one of those therapeutic moments, man, that just, I love, I love, love, love. And this is the episode that was, it had some funny moments, but most importantly, I wanted to highlight the people in my life that's, that's been, that has from the outside looking in, if you didn't know me, you know, the people that I'm around. So you can judge me based on the people that I, that I'm around and confide in. So that's my episode. Thanks for joining for Athletes Unplugged. Stay tuned. We're going to have more stories, more real stories, more real life stories, and we're going to have some fun and we're going to do it together. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I'm out. <laughs>